Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Happy New Year, Sue. Happy New Year, Andrew. You know, this year I question myself when I use the words Happy New Year. I don't know about you. Yeah. (laughs) It just rang a little false. Yeah. And so when I was writing to people, I would write, have a safe and healthy new year. Oh, yeah. I got that a few times. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it it makes sense considering what we're going through. But I also sometimes would write, have a safe, healthy, and resilient new year. Hmm. And I'm not sure where that came from exactly, but I wanted to come up with something different than something kind of rote or something... Uh, that didn't carry a whole lot of meaning, especially in the midst of so many challenges that we're all facing. Mm-hmm. So instead, I decided resiliency, or what I sometimes just call resilience, I seemed to r- resonate for me. And I don't know about you, and tell me what you think about this, but the, the word resilient really rolls off my tongue. Yeah, I mean, I don't use it very often. Um, I I like to. I think I think when I hear the word resilience, I think it comes packed with um, a lot of information. Like it, it's not just a word to me. It's not just like springing back, as like in the definition it says. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more. There's more to the recovering uh, that has a lot. It's deeper than just a springboard, I think, when I hear it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I I agree. It's not a lightweight word at all. But since we are talking about recovery in in general with this podcast, I I thought that we could talk about resilience in terms of how it fits in with folks in recovery from various kinds of addictive compulsive behaviors, but also what it really means in terms of our nervous system and how we respond to life's challenges, okay? Yeah, that sounds good. So I I went to the dictionary, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Actually, it was online, but, (laughs) you know, it was a dictionary nonetheless. And the definition they came up with for resilience was the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. What, what do you think about that? Well, I would think that the, cap- the capacity is the key word there, right? Um, you have to own that. Like you have to be able to understand and, and hold open that space of having capacity. So you can't just be resilient. Well, I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> I think as I dive down deeper into this, because I haven't really thought about it. Um, it's, it's, it's important to understand, or is it? Is it important to understand what resiliency is in order to be resilient? Or are some people just naturally resilient? Well, that's the big question, right? I think there's, is it the 
chicken or the egg in that way. And, you know, I've been giving some thought to this before our, our talk today. And what, what I realize is that resilience is something that actually grows when something bad happens to us. That, that if we are just going through life without many challenges or obstacles, resilience actually doesn't build. And, and so what we're really talking about is how we as human beings build larger capacity for life's issues, kind of like in 12-step living life on life's terms. And, and so the difficulties, the obstacles, the challenges, the traumas that, that happen to each of us are really where is the opportunity to build the capacity for more resilience. But I can see that sometimes it's not it can it can be done in unhealthy ways say more so people can sometimes just bury things away and it appears that they're being resilient and they're being tough but are they really dealing with what the issues are or are they just kind of burying them away like a coping mechanism right so i guess in whose eye is it to judge like whether you're recovering and how is that recovering actually something that's healthy i think that's a fantastic uh distinction you're making because in, in my way of looking at it resilience is something positive it's something that happens within us in order to and not to sound too trite but to make lemonade out of lemons right it's, it's not about burying things it's not about being in denial about things it's about taking on whatever life throws at us and and to then become more able to deal with it and to um, bounce back from it more efficiently. So let me share a little bit about how I envision that because I think this is where the nervous system resiliency really comes in. So if we can live more of the time in a resilient, regulated, and resourceful way. Uh, that's a real place of, of buoyancy. It's a real place of, of living the fullness of, of life and, and really experiencing life's feelings and thoughts and, and experiences, everything um, to its max. Okay. But inevitably, as we know, something happens, something bad happens to us and it's dysregulating, right? It, it, it moves us into a place sometimes of upregulation like panic or rage or anything that is where it feels like the motor inside of us is, is revving too high. Or we downregulate, which is another kind of dysregulation, and, and the motor is running too low and we feel disconnected or just depressed or dissociative or, or just shut down, right? So in terms of resiliency, what we're talking about is when we dysregulate, which we all do at one time or another, how do we find our way back to a more resilient state more efficiently, right? And, and so I, I really look at resilience as a, a very positive, full, and uh, regulated way of, of being in the world. So that, that's what I consider nervous system resiliency. And it's a state that you mentioned. Correct. State of being. Right. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I mean, 
the ideal way of going through life is that when something happens to us that's too much to process at the time, that we're able to come back to it more quickly. We're able to to face it usually with the help of others because connection is is one way that we feel more regulated, right? And so in in essence what we're we're talking about today, this idea of resilience is that it's kind of like a touchstone. It's like, oh, I feel more like myself when I'm resilient. Right. So I feel it brings you back to a place of can, where you're, like you say, you feel more like yourself. You, yeah. you know, not, more in balance, I guess, is the word of saying. Right. Yeah. Right. And to bring it all the way back to addictive compulsive behaviors, we're more vulnerable to addictive compulsive type behaviors when we're dysregulated. Right. So if we're more resilient, if we're feeling more like ourselves, chances are we're, we're not as likely to slip or relapse. But on the other side, if, if we stay dysregulated for too long, uh, if we're, our resilience is not something that we can come back to more efficiently, then there's, there's really some vulnerability there. Yeah, I just a lot of things are just firing in my brain right now. <laughs> um, so how would you uh, how would you apply this to shame? Oh, that's interesting. I I haven't thought this through entirely, but you know, Brene Brown, who I talk about quite a bit, writes quite a bit about shame resiliency, and her idea is that we all live with shame in one form or another. It's it's simply another emotional state that is inevitable. But just like with anything, if we can, like you said before, if we bury it, if we're in denial about it, if we push it down, it, it just kind of festers, right? But if we bring it out into the light of day, if we talk about it, if we share our story about our shame, if we're able to normalize it and be around others who are able to really be loving and validating of our feelings and and also remind us of how it's just a temporary state because shame doesn't have to be chronic hopefully although there is a lot of chronic shame out there unfortunately but i I, one of the things that brene brown talks about is that shame is given to us by others and he sorry and shame is healed through others i'll say that once more shame is given to us by others and shame is healed through others. So again, she's talking about connection. She's talking about vulnerability. She's reminding us that if we're able to bring it into the light and, and, and bring some oxygen to these feelings that might be uncomfortable or awkward or, or of course shameful, then we're on the right track to feeling more resilient. And so that's where it comes together, that, that if we're able to face it rather than hide from it, there's resilience that goes along with that, and our nervous system responds to it in kind. So uh, do you have any takeaways, um, just like how, like journaling or like being mindful? I know we talked about those things in the past, but are those things helpful in building your resilience? 
or are there any any other ways that you can work on building your own resilience right you know it's interesting i'm 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 just formulating what i would call some resilience skills and so i'm going to just off the top of my head share some ideas and you already mentioned a few um, one of them, of course, is writing about it, right? We forget that the power of journaling is is truly healing, and it's one way of processing. What, what I always say is if we keep things in, if we keep things tucked away, um, that's when it festers, right? But if we're able to write about it, if we're able to read about it, if we're able to pray and meditate about it, it's really all of the all of the different tools and ideas and skills from 12 step are, are connected to what we're talking about. So talk to a sponsor about it, talk to a therapist about it, talk to a friend about it, talk to a pastor about it, anybody who you trust, any emotionally reliable folks who you feel you can be open and honest with and vulnerable with in terms of where the shame uh, exists within you, because just that alone, just by sharing it, it's going to build a foundation of resilience. So again, if it's in journaling, if it's in um, maybe writing poetry even, or if it's in um, sharing with, with people that you find really, really dependable and that you enjoy talking to about what, what's really going on inside, which is a courageous thing, of course. Not many people do that. But, but this is really about letting others get closer to you and be with you, warts and all. So that, that, that's just a few things. You know, I think there's, there's wonderful books. I mean, I love The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. There's an older book called Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw which is certainly a classic. And, and so that's just a few things that, that our listeners might consider. I jotted them down. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think sometimes I'm more resilient with some things and I've, and I've gotten better with that. But it, um, I'm, there's still so much room to improve that. Do you have examples of of your own resilience? Well, I was just going to respond to what you shared because I know you weren't joking about writing down some of these things for yourself because we've known each other a long time, yeah. right? Is it, is it 35 years this year? 30, 36 yeah, years? Maybe 36. It's, it's hard to believe, but we've been basically siblings for a long, long time. And as part of that, you and I have a, an open channel to share with each other what's really going on. And we share things that we don't share with everyone. And I'm so grateful for that, number one, and I just wanna say that out loud, that I, I wanna savor that gratitude and our relationship uh, in that way. But, but I don't want to minimize the, the power of having a true blue friend, you know, a person in your life that you can be totally yourself with. So one of the things that, that you and I do share is that we came from complicated childhoods. And they weren't awful. They weren't completely 
disruptive to to who we are as human beings. We've we've persevered and and we've built resilience as a result of of our childhoods. But I just want to share with our our listeners that that's that's the gift and and it's a little bit of an upside down gift but that's the gift of coming from a challenging childhood right because you know I grew up for instance with three older brothers that I was not close to so in a way I felt like an only child and it's not that I didn't acknowledge them I grew up with them but we lived very separate lives and in my home all six of us lived kind of very separate emotional lives in a lot of ways and I mentioned this as an example of how it required me to find other sources of love basically and I've said this before but I'll say it again part of my resilience is the fact that I had a grandmother who is incredibly loving toward me uh, her the unconditional love was through the roof and also um, with that, and I don't mean to compare human beings and animals, but I will anyway, my dog, Nikki, my Siberian Husky, brown and white with two different color eyes, was amazing. And he was consistent and he was there through thick and thin. And I always say if it wasn't for my grandmother and my dog, I, I don't know if I'd have the resilience that I do today. So I was really fortunate that I had sources of love and sources of consistency that really made things possible for me to, to persevere and, and to find ways of, of transcending what was going on at home. The, the other thing I just want to add to that briefly is that I've, I've always been a heat-seeking missile. And part of what I learned early was if I wasn't going to find it at home, I was going to find it elsewhere. So I was adopted by several families as I grew up, and I'm, I'm so incredibly appreciative to, to each and every one of them because I think they sensed that there was not a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of opportunity for me to, to, to feel at peace within my own home. And, and so they really did take me under their wing, and I, I always had a best friend growing up, and I, I, I just gravitated towards people who seemed to have something going on that, that my family didn't. And, and I, again, I was just so, so grateful for that. And, and that's where my resilience grew. What about you? I was dreading that you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I don't know, honestly, um, how I became so resilient. I think I just built up walls and kind of escaped into my own little fantasy in my in my head to to get what I thought I needed um, as a young child. And I still have difficulties with relationships, and I think that goes back to the shame. And But I do brush things off pretty quickly and dismiss things almost too quickly, so I don't know <laughs> if that's a really good thing that I do. I do sometimes come back and visit things that I feel like, I didn't the first time let it really bother me per se and um but yeah I mean I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that too like um in in the vein of resilience and just recovering quickly from something that other people might be feeling 
victimized about and then there's other people that you can see visually that they're not getting upset about this but other people are getting upset about this and have they just dealt with it more quickly or like you it's just to me I don't understand like how the same thing can happen to somebody um in the same vein in the same family maybe and then people just deal with it differently I guess Mm mm-hmm it's a really complex question yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it, it really starts with nature versus nurture in some ways but the, the way i see it is some of us are born into the world with a particular kind of sensitivity and a particular kind of spirit and desire to grow and sometimes that expands and sometimes that contracts but my my hunch and i don't know if there's any research to back this up, but my hunch is that it, it's really about how our DNA comes into the world, right? Our, our, that original blueprint. And then what experiences are able to really make that even more expansive. So for instance, I, I'm just going to share about something that I've witnessed with you in college. So when I saw things not go your way in college, I saw you go into action. I mean, you would get upset just like anyone would, but, but you would go into action and you would do something about it. And sometimes it was, it was impulsive. Sometimes it was thought out. But, but either way, I saw you move. You, you didn't sit in it for very long. And I've always admired that in you because for some reason, and again, sometimes it's hard to pinpoint, but for some reason there's that resilient um, kind of experience of life that told you that you, you didn't want to be a victim, basically. You didn't want to sit in it and, and just play dead. And I think there's something really powerful in terms of how do we move? Because sometimes as a kid, we are victimized, especially, I mean, adults, not so much, but kids are victimized because they don't have choice. They're often stuck in their circumstances. And when a person is resilient, they're able to empower themselves to look at their options and to stay mobile. And staying mobile or creating some mobility is really the nervous system saying, okay, let's go. Let, let's, let's find our way back to ourselves again. And, and I think that's where I, I think you have demonstrated that it's really possible to try things out. And I think you've experimented and, and tried different things and some things worked and some things didn't work, <laughs> yeah. like for most of us. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's been really, um, admi- I, I've always admired that in you because it's your nervous system really being resilient and being able to, to stay on track and and to try and stay true to yourself ultimately nice no i i I do see that action i do always take action so i guess i didn't realize that that was part of being resilient but yeah i'm I'm definitely a a mover and a shaker and get things done troubleshoot i love to figure it out exactly do you want to close with an example of um resilience of a client of course I, I was thinking about this as we were approaching today's podcast, and I was thinking about someone in particular, and this is not his real name, but I'll, I'll call him Brian. And uh, 
Brian was someone who was referred to my practice after a rehab experience. He was dealing with alcoholism and, and depression, and, and he was referred by this dual diagnosis program. And what's always really, um, I guess this, this is where I, I try and maintain a beginner's mind when it comes to clients who are referred in my direction, I, I really saw that he was in a position in his life where he truly wanted something that was different and something that was more satisfying. And unfortunately, uh, prior to that, you know, he, he just felt a little bit lost. He felt like he super lonely, profoundly lonely, actually, and, and suicidal as part of that. And once he went through his treatment experience, what, what came to be was he, he started to experience a sense of purpose. And in his case, he realized that he wanted to actually work in the addiction and dual diagnosis industry. And, and so it's been a process and a, a slow process to get there. But what, what I noticed in terms of his resilience is that he has some family members that have been very positive in his life. He hasn't, up to now, he, he hadn't cultivated those relationships. But nowadays, he is building these relationships much more um, in a way that's just feeling much better to him and that's much more real and much more intimate. And again, the connection, the feeling of connection that he's starting to experience both with family, with 12-step, and he's very involved, by the way, in 12-step and in, in terms of his, um, his sponsor and people that, that he's now um actually giving you know advice and listening to you know he he's very active in his in his 12-step groups and so it's it's really exciting to see that he's finding this sense of purpose and i think resilience is is actually a spiritual kind of experience it's not just about the nervous system it's not just about shame for instance it's also about the soul and the spirit and, and feeling resilient as a human being in the world. And that was the arc for this particular person where I think he was feeling so disconnected. And nowadays he's feeling more connected and he's feeling more hope in a sense of, oh, okay, I feel more like myself more of the time. And and that's subjective, of course, but it's, it's very much a... a reminder of, huh, I, I didn't used to feel like this. I, I didn't feel more like myself more of the time. I felt more like an outsider. I felt more like a, an observer. And, and now he really feels like a participant. So on a visceral level, and, and certainly when I'm talking with him, his voice is different, his voice is stronger, his eye contact is better, and his whole demeanor and outlook on life just has a, a resilience of, oh, okay, I've been through all of this. I've had a rough time. Now what? And that's so exciting for me to 
witness and and to be wow. in a part of what he he goes through and i get to meet with him on a <laughs> weekly basis and amazing and and yeah he's really on his way to to a, a completely different life that's that's amazing so that's a great testament to doing the work and and finding the purpose and actually the self-awareness is huge in all of that because knowing what feels good is important and and for him to, un- to uncover that, I'm sure, was uh, a great part of his journey. That's very, very important. I mean, it sounds really simple in some ways, but self-awareness, if we think about it in terms of the nervous system and of our internal world, if we don't know what we're feeling or thinking, if we don't know what sensations are going on in our body, if we're not able to tap into our memories or, or, or the images of our life that um, make up who we are, it, it's really not a cohesive story. But the self-awareness that grows where someone can say, oh yeah, I, I am feeling cranky today. How do I respond to that crankiness? What's my relationship to my crankiness? And, and how, do I, how can I come back to a more resilient state? more more easily so keep asking yourself those questions right and i think now maybe people have more self-awareness through all this self-quarantining period of time we've been through um hopefully you know people have grown um spiritually and connected more with how they feel so that's the only i think thing through all of this that um has been saving me same here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so glad you mentioned the pandemic because this is a time of resilience, right? Mm-hmm. Between For our sure. yeah. political turmoil, um, COVID, um, just everything that's been happening this past year, it's it's an opportunity. I mean, it's it, not to sound trite again, but it's an opportunity to build resilience, right? And unfortunately, some folks are very vulnerable to falling off the wagon and, and going back into some really unhealthy and, and dangerous patterns. And yet others are resourcefully and resiliently finding ways of really being more... Um, aware of what what it is inside of them that can help them persevere at a time like this and and even transcend the the kind of heaviness that's going on around us and, and inside of us nice so i don't have anything else to to share or ask sue but i'm wondering if you have any other thoughts you wanted to add before we wind down I guess just to echo what you said, that self-awareness and, and during this time especially, things can get really difficult. And I don't want people to use that as an excuse um, moving forward, but just to, just to keep asking yourself those questions as you um, showed us the example with your client and how his journey has really helped him to feel connected and, and find those people that will help you and and. Don't discount yourself either, you know? For sure. And just to piggyback on that, 
it, it is a time of reevaluating and reassessing what really counts. So whatever makes your life and recovery worth living, I, I really encourage all of you to ask yourself those big ticket item questions and, and to also you know, find what those things are that give you a reason to wake up in the morning. And, and resilience is a skill-based kind of experience. It's not something that just happens to us. It's something that we get to practice on a daily basis. So whatever that means to you and however you bring those ideas together, I, I encourage you to consider what's available to you. Thank you for listening today. It was so great sharing the time with my colleague and friend, Sue Merlino, and discussing this really vital topic that affects those affected by out-of-control sexual behavior. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks again for being with us today.